Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Today is really about a test. Do you pass this test? Mark 12, 41 to 44. This test. And it's the widow's might, but you're going to see why it's really a test after all. And I'm going to start with, uh, before I even get into this, because it's a wild passage, it reminded me of a Paul Harvey story, which I saved. Paul Harvey, remember Paul Harvey years ago? I used to listen on the tractor radio (laughs) to Paul Harvey when uh, when I was a kid. Paul Harvey reported that a woman called up the Butterball Turkey Company's consumer hotline and asked about the advisability of cooking a turkey that had been in her freezer for 23 years. The customer service representative told her that it might be okay to eat it if the freezer had maintained a below zero temperature for the entire time, but even so, the flavor would have deteriorated so much that it wouldn't be very tasty. Said the caller, oh, that's what we thought. We'll just donate it to the church. (laughs) You like that one, don't you? (laughs) If you get a turkey from us, you'll know, you know, to, not, to, not to eat. <laughs> it, it's sad, but so many have this same attitude in churches. God gets our leftover turkey, our second best. And we'll see a woman today who gives God her very best, everything she has. Now, we've been looking, we're finishing up Mark 12 here. We've been looking at Jesus fighting the Pharisees round two. We already saw round one. We're finishing up round two. Think of UFC fight, but it's not just knocking someone out. It's to the death. They're trying to kill Jesus here. And today we come to the end of round two. Round three we're going to see later on. But round two, and now Jesus is on the offense, and he gives them a knockout punch. He was on the offense last week, and now he gives them a knockout punch. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for bringing us here today, for your purpose. We pray that your spirit would speak to us, each one of us, through your mercy and grace, in Jesus' name, amen. Mark 12, 41 to 44. Only a few verses, but they're heavy. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, only a fraction of a penny, worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. Let's start with the first couple of verses. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, only worth only a fraction of a penny. So Jesus sits down. They're in the temple courts. He's fighting it out with the Pharisees there. They're in the temple courts, and he goes to where the offerings are put in these 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles. Think of a trumpet upside down, the, the 
wide lip there, and they would, there was 13 of them placed throughout this court, and they would put their money, their offerings, their tithes into these receptacles. Imagine, and here Jesus sits down and starts watching. Imagine what it would be like if I sat by the door, you know, we have the offering boxes back there, and I sat and watched you come in, you know, and putting your eyes, think of that, right? Now we, we watched who gave what and how much, you know, and, and, uh, we don't pass a plate here because in our, culture, especially the culture around here, people have the, we did a demographic study before we even started the church, and one of the main reasons people didn't want to visit churches, they thought churches only cared about money. They just asked for money and wanted your money. So we thought, let's do what Jesus did here. We put the boxes in the back and we don't talk about it. And by God's grace, here we are 15 years later and we've made it, you know, and been blessed, really, been blessed. Uh, we rarely talk about, about finances, but but it is important. And uh, we, so that's why we put the boxes in the back so that people, so the focus is on giving to God, not without anybody watching or anybody pressuring us. Okay, that's why we do that. But God sees. God sees what we give, even though we don't pass a plate like a lot of churches. In fact, we visited some churches with the kids and they passed the plate and our kids were like, what are they doing? What are they doing? I go, well, this is what they do in churches. What? You know, they were like, do you want you put money in that? You know, they were like shocked, you know. So, but it's all cultural, right? Cultural. But God does see, even though we don't pass a plate, God does see. In a sense, Jesus is sitting back at the offering boxes watching to see what we give, right? So Jesus watches the crowd putting the money in, and many rich people throwing these large amounts, but a poor widow came in and threw in a tiny, two t- tiny copper coins. Two teeny tiny copper coins she throws in here. The word in the Greek, they don't use the word, but the word in the Greek refers to the smallest coin in existence in Palestine in Jesus' time. The smallest coin in circulation, and it's often referred to as a widow's mite. And I actually have one right here. In fact, Kim got this for me for my birthday one time from some archaeology place. It's actually the, the actual coin that the widow threw into the... No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That's... Uh, <laughs> if you believe that, I have pieces of the cross, you know, David Slingshot. You know, they think of the middle, medieval ages, all the stuff they had, right? Uh, it's, it's not the coin, but it is, it is the same coin, all right? It's not the exact coin. That we know of. And uh, so I'm going to pass this around. So you can, I'm going to pass around. I just ask that you can take it out and feel it and touch it and all that. Just don't put it in the box on your way out. I want it back. All right? Don't put it in the offering box trying to get good favor with Jesus or something. But anyway, it's tiny. It's teeny. It's this little teeny coin, which if it gets to you, it's just little nothing. And that's what she threw in. This story reminds me of, uh, this story of the, the widow's might reminds me of, when I was about 10 years old, I was at camp, Bible camp, Niagara Bible camp, and right on Lake Ontario. And I remember going and to this camp, this super camp, but my, my mom gave me $5 before I went to the camp. And back then, 45 years ago, $5 was a lot of money, all right, a lot. It'd be like, I don't know, $25, $50 even now. And you could buy a lot with $5. But my mom knew my tendencies with money, so she said, now listen, Chucky, don't... Don't you got to don't waste this. You got to pace yourself because you should have plenty left over at the end of the week. All right. I said, okay, okay, okay. So we would buy crafts. You know, you things we would paint the plaster, things you would paint, or we'd buy ropes. We'd weave into different things and and all kinds. Of, and then we'd buy candy and pop 
and uh, late night snacks. We would buy all that stuff. But the last day, they would give us the balance back. The last day before our last Bible meeting, they would give us the balance back in an envelope. And then they would give this pitch, you know, hey, what do you have left over? There's our mission. We always had a guest missionary with a special project. And they would say, why don't you pray about giving this to the missionary so they could use it for the project? And everybody put their money in. That's what they, we did. And we were happy to do it. All right. So I get my envelope back that day. And I'll never forget it had written on it, they always had it written on one penny. One penny. I had splurged. I had splurged. And, and all my friends were laughing. They couldn't believe I only had one penny left. And, and the counselor was kidding me. I remember our counselor. I don't remember his name, but I just remember him saying, Now, Chuck, you've got to really pray about this. He put his arm around. You've got to really pray about this. Are you going to keep that penny or give it to the Lord? You know, and he was teasing me and kidding me. And I'm like, Oh, yeah. And of, of, of course, I, I gave it to the, I, I gave it to the, to the missionary. I, I gave it, but that's all I gave because why? That's all I had left. And so many of us, are like that little Chucky at camp. <laughs> we splurge, we waste, we get deeply into debt in our personal life, and there's not much money left over for God. Not money, money, not much left. I wasted my money, so I could only give a penny. But the pennies that this poor widow gave was all she had. All she had. Let's look at verses 43 to 44. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave, but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on. The poor widow gave the most. The rich gave a percentage of what they had, she gave all. That she had. She could have kept one or both, right? Nobody would have faulted her. You know, if you were giving counseling or giving her economic counseling, what would you say? Just give one. No, no let's cut that those in half and give a little bit of the penny. Don't, no, you, we would have probably said, don't give anything. You need all that, right? But she, but she didn't. No one would have faulted her, but she didn't. She still gave it all. And Jesus commended her. He said, that shows a life dedicated to God. And that's what our giving shows. Giving is an outward visible picture of what's going on in our heart. What, what's happening inside spiritually. What we give is proof. God knows what we really give. Not the portion, but the proportion. God measures not what we, by what we give, but what, by what we keep. For ourselves. He doesn't measure by what we give. He measures by what we keep for ourselves. And, and God knows. And he's really finishing off the Pharisees with a knockout punch here. But he has an important lesson for the disciples and for us too. The Bible teaches tithing and giving. It teaches very clearly. It teaches tithing. A lot of people say, oh, that's the Old Testament. No, listen, <laughs> the Old Testament is the New Testament. Well, the Bible teaches very clearly tithing, and it never was negated in the New Testament. If anybody tells you that, they're probably not tithing. All right? They're probably keeping. The Bible teaches tithing. It means giving a percentage for God's work. And the baseline in the Old Testament and throughout the Bible is 10%. That's like a baseline. And the key is to give the first 
10%. Don't wait for the end of the month when we only have a penny left, if that, right? The key is you give the first 10%. Just like Uncle Sam takes the first 10%, we give the first 10%. I know many people are in debt. I, and I have helped many of you get out of debt. And, uh, and I want to encourage you, if you are in debt, talk to me. Because we have people in the church and we have other ministries that will help you work so you can get out. So that, uh, get the counseling and get out of that debt. And I know many others are in severe hardship. There's, there's elderly and single people on very fixed incomes. Really, really hard. And so that's why I usually encourage people when they first become a Christian. Or they're going through this real hard, frustrating uh, hardship time, I say start with 1%. This year, commit 1% to your tithe. And then the next year, go to 2%. And the next year, 3 and, you know, And keep working your way up till you get to, and maybe you can do it faster than 10 years, you know, but whatever, but, but to get to that 10%. Very, very important. The biblical Old Testament tithe was for the local ministry. There's many verses about as for the local ministry of the priests in the local area. That would be like uh, the, the local church of today. That's the same principle. So the 10% is really meant for the local church. Whatever local church you're part of, I know you have guests and visitors. Whatever local church, that's that 10% is for the local church. And only God and our treasurer know what you give. I, I have no idea what people give. Only God and the treasurer know what you give. What you tithe to the church. But God takes the tithe very seriously because we're giving, when you, when we tithe, and I tithe, we all tithe, when we tithe, we're giving not to the church, we're giving to God. That's what we're really doing. We're giving it to God. And, and God knows and watches and it's very, very serious. In fact, in Malachi 3, Malachi 3 verse 8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. God doesn't need our money. He's got floodgates full of stuff but it's really a test it's a test for us after he's given us so much will we give just a small amount back again will we do that so the tithe is very very important in scripture now i'm going to really shock some of you because the 10 percent tithe is just the baseline that's like the baseline giving the new testament adds something on top. It doesn't do away the tithe. No, no, that tithe is still there all throughout the scripture. But the New Testament teaches a whole new level of giving. The New Testament says not only are we to be tithing, but we're also to be sacrificial givers. Sacrificial giving is also taught. How much is that? There's no set amount. But I'll tell you this, it's way more than 10%. Some people say, well, I don't believe in the Old Testament tithing. I believe in the New Testament. I go, that's sacrificial giving. That's way more than 10%. You just stuck your foot in your mouth, you know? Because uh, you're stuck now. Because it's way more. 2 Corinthians 8 says this. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. 
out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Wow. And read the rest of chapter 8 and chapter 9 on your own because it's, it packs a punch. That's sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving. That's what we give beyond the 10% of the local church. It's missions giving. That's what we give to missionaries as, as individuals. We mostly do this as individuals because a lot of times churches go up and down, but individuals tend to support better, so we encourage you individually to support the different missionaries that we bring in and that we are connected with our church. But it's missions giving, supporting missionaries and missions and, and special things like we do in the Philippines. That's where the sacrificial giving comes in. It's helping those in need. It's not just missions, but it's helping people who are in need. Uh, people that God brings in the church family. We know somebody in need, but it's also people that God brings across our path at work or at school or, or anywhere. It, it could be at the, the special event we had Saturdays, the St. Baldrick's event. That's sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving. At, in New Hope, here at New Hope Community Church, the, helping people in need has just been just amazing. We, don't, we have benevolence, but we only have a small amount budget. you know why? Because so many people help each other naturally. I call it supernaturally naturally. We don't have to program it because everybody's constantly helping each other. It's shocking. Because I, I get wind of most of it. It's shocking how much people help each other here. But it's not just here. It's outside the body of Christ, ministering to those in need. And we, we need to pray about how can we give sacrificially. And it means we have to sacrifice something. What do we need to give up so that we can give sacrificially to a missionary or to missions or to, you know, charity water or to the Dominican Republic? or to, you know, There's a whole list there in the bulletin. Many, many. I don't want to start naming them all. But what do we need to give up? Maybe it's just giving up coffee, something small. I'll give up coffee. For the week or the month or forever. I'll give up coffee or, or I'll give up going to Wawa. And whatever I would have spent on Wawa this week, whew, that'd be a lot for me. But uh, whatever I give up Wawa, I'll give that or I'll save that for, for missions or something. Maybe it's giving up golf for a month or for the summer or maybe whatever. But whatever we save by giving up something, by giving up something little, it's amazing what it can add up and what we can give to people to, for God could be something big. Maybe we have a boat we could sell. Or we have a, a car that we could sell. Or a, a house. Maybe you have an extra house or we could downsize the house we're in and have money. Maybe it's stocks that we say, wow, we've been hanging on this. And we say, no, God's putting it on our heart to sell some of the stocks and set it aside for missions or for those in need. A little scary, isn't it? <laughs> What, how is God speaking to us about sacrificial giving? The, the key is surrender. Have we surrendered our life in all we have? Have we put it into God's hands? Because if we have, we're like, God, whatever you want, take it. 
Just show me what, what to give, and it's yours. Have we, do we have that attitude? Is that our spirit? Have we, everything that we have, have we put it into his hands? The first step is we need to give him our life. Maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You've never put your faith in him and given him your life. John 3.16 tells us how to do it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus, we're getting close to Resurrection Sunday to Easter here. Jesus died for us on the cross to pay for our sin, to pay for everything wrong we've ever done so that we could be washed clean if we put our faith in Jesus. If we put our trust in him, he will take our place. We, he takes our sin on that cross. If, if we believe in him, and the word means to put your faith in, if we will put our faith in him, we'll say, God, I repent of that sin. I turn away from that life of sin. I ask you to forgive me because I put my faith in Jesus. I'm going to follow you. I give my life to you. Once we give our life to Jesus, that's the first step to real life, to real freedom. To life forever with God in heaven someday. But it doesn't just start in heaven. It starts right here. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, real life starts here. Life of victory that we were singing about early at the end of the song. The resurrection power and the new life. That starts the moment we put our faith. But after we do that, and if you haven't, I hope you do it today. But after we do, after we put our faith in Jesus, do we live by faith? That's a daily decision. Do we daily surrender every part of our life to God, including everything we have, every day. God, what I have is yours. The tithing is a test. If you don't tithe, you're not living a surrendered life. Now, there's a lot more to a surrendered life, but that's a, that's a starting point. If, you don't, if we're not giving sacrificially, we're not living a, a, a surrendered life. Because that test points to something much bigger. See, tithing and sacrificial giving are indicators of a surrendered life. It points to something much deeper. And when we don't tithe and give sacrificially, it's like driving your car and all of a sudden the engine light comes on. That's an indicator. You ever do that? The engine light comes on. Uh-oh. That's an indicator something's wrong. And if, and this, and if uh, what I'm saying today right now, if we're not tithing and sacrificially giving then the the engine light is on spiritually for us and it's showing something deeper we have not surrendered. Because we don't give up, you know, a measly 10% of what we have. Are you kidding? We're not living a surrendered life. There's a lot deeper issues, aren't there, in our life. Do we realize, this doesn't make us feel guilty, this is to free us. Let us live a life of joy. Have Have you ever really given something and known the the freedom of that and, the, and the, the joy of that and the just it's awesome when we experience that when we give something to God do we do we realize the impact that a surrendered life can make I'm going to read a story that I've one of the most touching stories I think about this that I've ever read the rich family in our church by Edie Ogan I heard this about 30 years ago, and I still am touched by it. 
She says, I'll never forget Easter 1946. I was 14. My little sister, Osi, was 12. And my older sister, Darlene, 16. We lived at home with our mother, and the four of us knew what it was to do without many things. My dad had died five years before, leaving mom with seven school kids to raise and no money. By 1946, my older sisters were married and my brothers had left home. A month before Easter, the pastor of our church announced that a special Easter offering would be taken to help a poor family. He asked everyone to save and give sacrificially. When we got home, we talked about what we could do. We decided to buy 50 pounds of potatoes and live on them for a month. This would allow us to save $20 of our grocery money for the offering. Then we thought that if we kept our electric lights turned off as much as possible and didn't listen to the radio, we'd save money on that month's electric bill. Darlene got as many house and yard cleaning jobs as possible and both of us babysat for everyone we could. For 15 cents, we would buy enough cotton loops to make these potholders to sell for a dollar. We made $20 in potholders. That month was one of the best of our lives. Every day we counted the money to see how much we had saved. At night, we'd sit in the dark and talk about the poor family that was going to enjoy having the money the church would give them. We had about 80 people in the church, so we figured whatever amount of money we had to give, the offering would surely be 20 times that much. After all, every Sunday the pastor had reminded everyone to save for the sacrificial offering. The day before Easter, Ossie and I walked to the grocery store and got the manager to give us three crisp $20 bills and one $10 bill for all our change. So they got $70 here. We ran all the way home to show Mom and Darlene we had never had so much money before. That night we were so excited we could hardly sleep. We didn't care that we wouldn't have new clothes for Easter. We had $70 for the sacrificial offering. We could hardly wait to get to church. On Sunday morning, rain was pouring. We didn't own an umbrella, and the church was over a mile from our home, but it didn't seem to matter how wet we got. Darlene had cardboard in her shoes to fill the holes. The cardboard came apart and her feet got wet, but we sat in church proudly. I heard some teenagers talking about the Smith girls having on their old dresses. I looked at them in their new clothes, and I felt so rich. When the sacrificial giving offering was taken, we were sitting on the second row to the front. from the front. Mom put in the $10 bill. And each of us girls put in a 20. As we walked home after church, we sang all the way. At lunch, Mom had a surprise for us. She had bought a dozen eggs, and we boiled Easter eggs with our fried potatoes. Late that afternoon, the minister drove up in his car. Mom went to the door, talked with him for a moment, and then came back with an envelope in her hand. We asked what it was, but she didn't say a word. She opened the envelope, and out fell a bunch of money. There were three crisp $20 bills, 
one $10 bill and 17 $1 bills. Mom put the money back in the envelope. We didn't talk, just sat and stared at the floor. We had gone from feeling like millionaires to feeling like the poor family. We kids had such a happy life that we felt sorry for anyone who didn't have our mom and dad for parents. And a house full of brothers and sisters and other kids visiting constantly. We thought it was fun to share silverware and see whether we got the the fork or the spoon that night. We had two knives that we passed around to whoever needed them. I knew we didn't have a lot of things that other people had, but I never thought we were poor. That Easter day I found out that we were. The minister had brought us the money for the poor family, $87. So we must be poor. I didn't like being poor. I looked at my dress and worn out shoes and felt so ashamed I didn't want to go back to church. Everyone there probably already knew we were poor. I thought about school. I was in the ninth grade at the top of my class of over 100 students. I wondered if the kids at school knew we were poor. I decided I would quit school since I had finished the eighth grade. That was all the law required at that time. We sat in silence for a long time. Then it got dark and we went to bed. All that week, we girls went to school and came home and no one talked much. Finally, on Saturday, Mom asked us what we wanted to do with the money. What did poor people do with money? We didn't know. We'd never known we were poor. We didn't want to go to church on Sunday, but Mom said we had to. Although it was a sunny day, we didn't talk on the way. Mom started to sing, but no one joined in, and she only sang one verse. At church, we had a missionary speaker. He talked about how churches in Africa made buildings out of sun-dried bricks, but they need money to buy roofs. He said, $100 would put a roof on on a church. The minister said, can't we all sacrifice to help, to help these poor people? We looked at each other and smiled for the first time in a week. Mom reached into her purse and pulled out the envelope. She passed it to Darlene. Darlene gave it to me, and I handed it to O.C. O.C. put it in the offering. When the offering was counted, the minister announced that it was a little over $100. (laughs) The missionary was excited. He hadn't expected such a large offering from our small church. He said, you must have some rich people in this church. Suddenly it struck us. We had given $87 of that little over $100. We were the rich family in the church. Hadn't the missionary said so? 
From that day on, I've never been poor again. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? Are we living surrendered lives? Are we impacting the world for eternity? Starting with the person across the street, that person that God puts in our path. Are we living these surrendered lives? Are we tithing? Are we giving sacrificially? That's an indicator. But God wants so much more. That's just an indicator of what God really wants. What he really wants is our whole life. All of our lives. He wants our daily holiness. He wants our witness. He wants the impact in our life. He wants his love to just pour in and through us to other people. But that can only happen if we're living surrendered lives. He wants us to surrender our life's calling. Maybe we're living a life that he hasn't called us to live and he wants us to change direction and live a whole different life. And we know it, and we've been fighting it, and we say, God, I surrender my life. How is God speaking to us? What is he calling us to surrender? What little thing, what big thing? What material thing, what spiritual thing is he calling us to surrender? Maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. And that's what his Holy Spirit is calling you to do. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever believed in Jesus? Have you ever put your total faith and trust in Jesus? You can do that right now. Just pray, God, please forgive me for everything I've ever done wrong, ever will do. Every sin in my life, please forgive me. I repent of that sin. Forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in your son Jesus. I believe he died for me. I believe he came back from the dead, resurrected for me. Forgive me because I'm putting my faith in him. And I'm going to follow him now. I give you my life, God. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, your life will never be the same. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Fill out the card, stick it in the box. Tell me. Text me, call me. Tell a family member, a friend, someone that you're here with. Let somebody know so that we can encourage you. Be excited and and encourage you in your new life in Christ.
Father, I pray if anyone here has not given you their life, they would do it today. They would surrender their life to you today. And I pray for each one of us that we would live surrendered lives. Whatever you're calling us to surrender, whether it's a a spiritual struggle or temptation, whether it's a trial we're going through, whether whatever we're going through, whether it's our, our finances, whether it's the things in our life, whether it's a person, whatever you're calling us to surrender, I pray that we would make that commitment today and we would live a life of surrender. Pray your Holy Spirit would keep speaking to us about this. In Jesus' name, amen.